Well, hello and welcome back to our latest episode of Creation Talk. I'm Gary Bates from the US Office of Creation Ministries International, here with my colleague and friend, Keaton Halley. Hi, everybody. So today, Keaton, we're going to be talking about ancient Egypt. And uh, yes. ancient Egypt is all about history and the creation versus evolution issue, of course, is about history and whether the Bible's history is true. Of course, ancient Egypt is very, very important for Christians, for the Judeo-Christian heritage. Why is that? Uh, well, I suppose the Bible connects Israel to Egypt. Israel as a nation was sort of birthed out of Egypt, right? You have the great Exodus event. Joseph Correct. spent time down there. And so if the Bible is true, then there should be a match between biblical history and what we know from ancient Egyptian records. Correct. But as students of uh, ancient Egypt, uh, we know about Egyptian culture. We're not going to really find evidence in Egypt about uh, the Hebrews because they were a slave nation and regarded as an underclass. But that's a, another topic for a, another time. The first thing to understand when we look at ancient Egypt is understanding what the culture was like and how the dates we have today are derived. So Egypt, when they think about pharaohs, you know, a pharaoh generally would rule over the whole country. And in ancient Egypt, that is known as a kingdom period. So in ancient Egypt, there are old, middle and new kingdoms. And this is when a king ruled over the whole country, north to south or lower and upper Egypt. But in between those period it, or those kingdoms, there are things called intermediate periods. And usually this is when the kingdom or the, if you like, the countrywide rule of a pharaoh had broken down. The mm. first intermediate period, uh, a lot of uh, historians think that the old kingdom and its pyramid building bankrupted the economy, so lots of local governors set themselves up, set themselves up as pharaohs. We go to the Middle Kingdom, then we have the Second Intermediate. This is a period where the Hyksos ruled Egypt. These were foreign rulers, uh, Asiatics, as the Egyptians called them, and then they were turfed out. Then came the New Kingdom, the most powerful and wealthy mm. period in all of Egyptian history. People might know of the famous boy king Tutankhamun ruled in that period. That's then followed by a third or intermediate uh, period. And then we have the late period or the Sayat period where Egypt was ruled by Persians. And then, of course, the Greek occupation. So Alexander conquered Greek, Greece. Uh, one of his generals, Ptolemy I, installed himself as pharaohs. His children then became rulers of Egypt. And the last one was Cleopatra VII, who, of course, had that affair with Julius Caesar and Mark Anthony, and then it all pretty much came to an end after that. Yeah, with the Romans taking over. That's exactly right. Now, you've got a copy of our booklet, and we've got a table in there where people can see that. Yeah, so, of course, we've been doing a lot of research in this area of Egyptian history lately because CMI is taking a tour this September of Egypt. Three different tour groups we're going to bring through and share how biblical history relates to Egyptian history. And we, we produce this booklet. If people want more information, um, they can get a copy of this on our web store, either from print or ebook. Um, and in here, we, we'll put it up on the screen. We've got this chart that helps to outline the different periods of Egyptian history, all these kingdom periods, which consist of different dynasties of Egypt, right? Which are the, you know, when you'd have one ruler succeeded by his son and then his son and so on. And it was about 30, 31 dynasties throughout that entire Egyptian history. Yep. 
Well, you say dynasty, I say dynasty. <laughs> but uh, where do we get that information from? So the basis of the 30 dynasties that we have in Egypt today were recorded by an Egyptian priest named Menetho. Now, he was likely commissioned during the Greek reign or the Ptolemaic period yeah. of so Egypt. late after all that history had taken place, basically. Yeah. In fact, you and I were having a discussion, uh, even by the biblical dates, I mentioned that Menetho is closer to like the moon landings in terms of time <laughs> than he was in the earliest yeah. periods of the old kingdom. So that's how long Egyptian history has been running for. But uh, Menetho compiled... Egyptian history into 30 dynasties, dynasties kind of being maybe a family rule. Uh, he was a bit arbitrary in the way he ended a dynasty. So it's not strictly true in every case necessarily. That's but, correct. But Manitho is basically the backbone for even how we construct Egyptian chronology to this day, right? Yeah. And when you look at those ancient kings, of course, we see dates next to them that they ruled you know, 1300 BC to, you know, 1250 BC. But actually, we don't know that. <laughs> and any idea uh, you can share with people why or how those dates are derived? There are some ancient Egyptian records we have of, of king lists. I know you've written an article uh, detailing some of that. You know, it's, it's kind of comparing those things with Manetho, trying to figure out where Manetho was right or wrong. Obviously, we don't actually have Manetho's original writings, people may yes. not be aware. All we have are these other ancient historians who quoted Manetho in their works. We have their records. Yeah. And so this is really secondhand information. Sometimes these ancient historians even contradicted one another when they quoted the same passage in Manetho. Yeah. And so th there is, you know, some question mark over how much we can rely on. Well, it's a very big question, Mark. And uh, this is not some Christian get out of jail card. The big problem when we look at those dates ascribed to Egypt is the earliest dynasties would predate the date of the biblical flood, right. of Noah's flood, which we would put around 2450 BC. They have an early dynastic period starting at about 3200 BC. You look at the Great Pyramids, they're built around 2650 BC. Yeah. And a lot of people say, you know, could they survive the flood? We'll talk about that in a moment. But again, let me just re-emphasise what you're saying there. We don't. Uh, Manetho wrote about Egyptian history in a book called Egyptica. Mm -hmm. uh, his copies of that were passed down. But two main historians, Africanus and Eusebius, they did not have even access to original documents. They were refer referring to copies of copies. And in the periods we know the most about of Egyptian history, the most well attested to, which is the New Kingdom period, Okay, 18th dynasty going up to the 21st. We've got all the, the king's tombs and the Valley of the Kings. Manetho was actually demonstrably wrong, mm. even in those particular areas. Now, how did the dates come about? Okay, well, they didn't have a calendar like we use today, but we know, you know, we're very, very certain about the accuracy of the Roman conquest of Egypt, the Ptolemaic and the Greek periods. They were very, very well documented. So what happens is people working backwards, Manetho would write King A, you know, lived or reigned for so many years, he died, he was preceded by King B, who reigned for so many years, and then they try to work backwards from those dates. Right. But the further back we go, the less accurate it's going to be, because we now know in some cases there were overlapping dynasties. He was recording kings who obviously reigned contemporaneously in yeah. Egypt. 
And some places what he says is just does not seem very believable. For example, there was an instance where he talks about 70 kings reigning in a period of just 70 days, you know, yeah. uh, one king per day. In yeah. Effect. So a lot of people, for example, think that is an illusion, not illusion, an allusion <laughs> yeah. to a period after the old kingdom when the economy properly became bankrupted by the building of the Great Pyramids. There were lots of local governors who set themselves up. And he's recording a time of fragmentation yeah. in the kind of dynastic rule over Egypt. So we don't even have copies left today of Egyptica, Manetho's work, or we have historians who quoted him. Right. And as you mentioned, some of those historians disagreed with each other. Mm -hmm. But it's the only basis today for the dates that we have you know, yeah. or are, are being ascribed Primarily, to ancient Egypt. And, and then for some of the earliest parts, you know, we have like carbon dating is used to date the pyramids that were built in the third and fourth dynasties. That's in the old kingdom really early. Those dates are prior to Noah's flood, but mm. we've published articles about why carbon dating makes assumptions. Gavin Cox has a good article people can find on our website and we'll put it link in the show notes about how the, the pyramids themselves are dated and why they don't actually go before the flood. Yeah. So one of the most comprehensive lists is recorded by a king called Seti I in the 19th dynasty, yes. and it's at a temple known as Abydos or Abydos, again, depending upon your pronunciation. So we have more artifacts, ancient artifacts from ancient Egypt than probably any other ancient culture in the world. But another thing to consider is that a lot of these artifacts were tombs, temples to the gods and the kings, and they were masters of propaganda. So even though we have a lot, we know in some cases they themselves are demonstrably playing fast and loose with the truth. Yeah. So this is not a simple subject. Mm -hmm. And uh, even secular historians would agree that Manetho's dates or his work is in need of revision. And for every researcher, historian, Christian or otherwise that's looking at this, you will find vastly different opinions. So just a word of caution there to be careful when somebody says, aha, I've solved it because uh, in our experience, uh, there's so much that we don't know and we have to make assumptions yeah. and, and we do that as Christians just like everybody else. But there are some synchronisms I think we can look at uh, in the Bible mm -hmm. with ancient Egypt. For example, the first mention of the nation of Israel is in a stella, which is you know a large slab of stone, which is uh, written upon, mm -hmm. known as uh, the Merempetah stella, which is uh, from the 19th dynasty. Merempetah was a son of Ramses II. Ramses, right, yes. Ramses the Great, as he's known. And it clearly refers to Israel. It identifies them as a group of people. So... That would suggest when we see that, that Israel has now been settled in the land. So we can use that as a bit of a, an anchor point because obviously they've taken over the land of Canaan and they are a particular uh, nation. And, and this would be the 19th dynasty of Egypt, which if the conventional chronology is, is approximately correct back to that point, this would most likely be in the period of the judges, mm -hmm. right? Now, some people would say that, no, Ramses was the Pharaoh of the Exodus. You know, that's what we find in the movie, The Ten Commandments. Many scholars hold that view today. But, but that view doesn't really take a lot of the, the biblical information seriously because the Bible says in 1 Kings 6, 1, for example, that it was 480 years before Solomon's reign that the Exodus took place. And so actually the, the Exodus would have taken place 
prior to this time when this steely was produced. And that would put it around the time of the judges, which, which fits with the biblical claims that Israel is in the land by that point, but they're not yet established as a, as a kingdom. The united monarchy had not yet yeah. emerged. That's a very good point. So from that uh, first Kings passage, we believe as evangelicals, we can actually get a date of the Exodus. Now, where you put that date in terms of Egyptian history yeah. is the big question. Yeah. But again, remember we said at the beginning that the later periods of Egyptian history we think are fairly accurate, and we would put the Exodus in somewhere probably in the middle of the New Kingdom. We think the dates there can be moved by maybe a few tens of years, but to uh, get Egyptian history to fit with the Bible, there's got to be a reduction of some 500 years from those standard dates of Egyptian history. And we would say, as we did say before, mm -hmm. that further we go back is where we would get the right. most discrepancies. Yeah. And a lot of people try to look at Egyptian history and take one great big chunk out. I think that's an oversimplification. Yeah. And, and very late in the history, right? Yeah. But, but yeah, we're, we're trying to argue here and, and not be dogmatic either because we've published a number of, a range of views kind of on our website about these things. But the more we look into this, the more it seems to us that the, there are some synchronisms here, which we're, which we're going to point out where from the time of you know the judges and so forth, the biblical history seems to line up pretty well with the conventional dates, roughly right. speaking. So that is actually the Meron Patar Stella is the first mention of the nation of Israel in Egyptian yeah. records. But you don't see the mention of the nation of Israel any earlier. But it was an interesting group of people mentioned in something known as the Yamana letters, mm. and I'll like get, let you explain what they are, yeah. about a group of people called the Habaru or the Aparu, and of course, Habaru sounds like Hebrew. Habaru is a term for kind of vagrant, vagabond, robber in Egyptian. But of course, we also know that sometimes these terms were used to apply to a group of, they had a double meaning, yeah. in other words. But what, what are the Amarna letters yeah. about? And so what period do we place those in? There are these documents written in cuneiform writing, and they originated in the land of Canaan that would become you know, the, the land of Israel. And they're from the, the different rulers of these various cities in Canaan, but they're written to the pharaohs of Egypt. And this would be during the 18th dynasty, so a little bit prior to this Merneptah Stele. And, you know, we found these in, in Egypt, and there are several hundred of them. They give us an idea of what the conditions were like in Canaan in this time period. Again, biblically speaking, this would probably be like toward the end of the conquest or maybe the early judges period if the chronology all aligns like we're saying. And it seems to match because the circumstances are that these local, apparently Canaanite rulers- Who were under Egyptian rule at the time. Exactly. Yeah. They're sort of in charge of their own little city-state. The whole kingdom there isn't you know, united under an Israelite monarch, but they're vassals under Egypt. Egyptian, you know, they're crying out to the Pharaoh to, to help them against these attacking Apiru, which are like- invaders, you know, causing them trouble. And so if there, I, I don't think that all the Apiru are necessarily uh, Israelites, but if, if that's a term that could include the Israelites, then that fits with this conquest and judges period in which Israel didn't take over the land all at once. It, they continue to battle. They, it, they sort of established a foothold in the land, in the hill country initially, and then it took centuries, really, for them to gain more and more control yeah. over the land. So it's fascinating. We mentioned uh, the second intermediate period, which just precedes the new kingdom period, which starts with the 18th dynasty. There were foreign rulers in the land called Hyksos. 
the first pharaoh of the 18th dynasty, Amos, he threw them out. And then Amos took over north and south of Egypt. And as I said earlier, it was the most powerful time. A little bit later on in the 18th dynasty, a ruler named Tutmosis III. He's kind of been described as the Napoleon of Egypt because Egypt's foreign policy changed. Mm. No longer were they going to be weighted to, you know, be invaded. They said, we're going out and we're going to preempt this and we're going to take over all these lands. And the Imana letters are specifically written to Amenhotep III. He would be uh, the great-grandson, I think it would be, of Tutmosis III. And his son, who was Amenhotep IV, which changed his name to Akhenaten. And these vassal kings, these vassal states are saying, please help. The land your fathers joined together have now been separated and taken over by that. But they ignore them. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think that's really interesting, given the power and the wealth and the might of Egypt. But I just wonder whether there's a bit of a remembrance there of what the Hebrew God did in Egypt and these kings are saying, you know, perhaps, sorry, guys, yeah. we're not messing with those guys, not messing with the Israelites anymore, yep. you know, who yep. knows. But, um, you know, I personally think that the Habaru is inclusive at that, at that particular period of time of the Hebrew wanderings yeah. uh, going around in the land of, of Canaan. But anyway, after that, there are several kings mentioned Egyptian kings mentioned in the Bible that we know are real. I've actually been to Egypt and seen some of their artifacts, their columns there. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to mention some of the names and some of the biblical references people can look Yeah. Up? Well, the first named Pharaoh in the Bible, you have references to Pharaohs for, you know, throughout Genesis, but the first time we get a name of a Pharaoh mm. is reference to Shishak. Uh, he's mentioned in 1 Kings eleven forty. And the Bible says he is related to the time of Solomon and then Solomon's successor, Rehoboam. And he interacts with these people. Um, In fact, Jeroboam, who ended up after the kingdom split after Solomon's time, Jeroboam ruled in the north. And he, for a time prior to that, went and and had refuge in Egypt under this. He escaped Solomon because he was a a divisive element uh, yeah. under the rule in Israel at the time. But you've written an article about Shishak, and can he be identified clearly in the Egyptian records? Yes. Well, uh, people can, again, follow the link below to uh, Shishak or Shoshenk there. It's interesting because even secular archaeologists, historians looking at this period of Egypt have traditionally identified Shoshenk I, mm-hmm. okay, in the uh, third intermediate period with Shishak of the Bible. Yeah. But it's some Christian researchers have come across and have tried, you know, following actually a, another secular researcher by the name of David Roll in particular, who've tried to undermine this particular view. But actually, I think that's a very, very strong synchronism between biblical and Egyptian history. Yeah. Because a- we know that Shoshank the first did come and invade the land of Israel. We find, you know, this big relief that exists in Karnak, uh, where he's got all these different places that he attacked and and destroyed. And the biblical text says that this King Shishak invaded Jerusalem in particular, or at least came to attack it, right? Yeah, so Shoshank (laughs) has all these cities that he's invaded in the divided kingdom. And a lot of people say he doesn't specifically mention Jerusalem, but we looked at one specific cartouche there, or hieroglyph rather, and it looks like, to us, it reads, Judah gives an offering. Of course, if we read the Bible, uh, the prophets said to Rehoboam, the Shoshank's going to come up and take over unless they repent. Yeah. And, of course, what they did is they repented. They gave over basically all the treasures of Jerusalem at yes. the time. And um, Shoshank said, well, thanks very much. I'll leave you alone. And he went back. 
And then, of course, there was this huge transfer of wealth later uh, from Shoshenk to his successor. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit like, where did all this incredible wealth and gold come from? Well, it looks like that's, that was his booty from Israel. Yep. Wow, there's so much we could go on. <laughs> there's another king later on, and he's mentioned in uh, 2 Kings 19.9, and his name is Tahaka. Uh, and it's spelt with T-I-R-H in, in the Bible, in our English translations, but we believe that is Tahaka of the 25th dynasty. He's yeah. a Nubian, so that's southern Egypt. Again, you can see his artifacts there. There are a couple of others called Hophra. Mm-hmm. We read about in Jeremiah 44. Yes, and uh, Necho, Necho the second, most likely, um, although some people think it's the first. But um, Yeah, exactly. So we get to that end of that period where those pharaohs are mentioned and interacting with Israel. And then uh, we get to the Ptolemaic rule. Mm. And you've written a lot on this. In fact, there's a whole section Keaton's contributed to on the Ptolemaic Ptolemaic period of of Egypt, which is when the Greeks ruled there. We believe most of this is taking place during the intertestamental periods. So when the Old Testament finishes and the New Testament begins, maybe you just want to share a big picture on that. Yeah, just briefly, and people can consult the booklet for more. But, you know, obviously there's about 400 years in between the time of the Old and New Testament. And so one might think, well, the Bible therefore doesn't have anything to say about this time period. But in the book of Daniel, there are some prophecies about how the Greeks would take control of this, you know, broad, huge areas of land, including the nation of Israel. And so Daniel 11 in particular is a prophetic text, and and people from a wide range of eschatological perspectives would would actually agree on how to interpret at least some of this chapter. Mm. We don't have time to go into lots of detail here, but basically I'll I'll read you just a quick verse here from Daniel chapter 11, where after it's talked about the kings of Persia, it mentions the kingdom of Greece, and verse 3 says, Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with a great dominion and do as he wills. Well, we know this king of Greece was Alexander the Great. We know that because the next verse, verse 4, says, And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided Mm -hmm. toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, that is like his children, right? Nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. Well, Alexander the Great didn't have any heirs that could inherit the kingdom. He had a young child that died as an infant. And so what happened, I think you mentioned before, his kingdom was divided up among his generals. The two that became the most important relevant to the prophet Daniel's concerns, you know, to the Israelites, there was a a Greek ruler in Egypt, whose name was Ptolemy, Mm -hmm. and he gave rise to a succession of kings called the Ptolemies. And in the north, northeast above Israel was the the region of Syria. Those were the Seleucid rulers based on this general of Alexander's Seleucus. You you had these two rival kingdoms with Israel caught in the middle, warring over centuries. And the chapter 11 of Daniel goes into lots of detail about all this history that happened, but it was foretold ahead of time. Yeah. In fact, I just in December, I went to do a trial run of our upcoming tours of Egypt. And by the way, if you're still interested in going in those, follow the link below uh, or go to creation.com and on the front page, uh, there still are some places they are filling fast. First tour begins in uh, August 29 uh, this year. But yes, you're absolutely correct. I When I was there, I actually saw a cartouche with Alexander's name in it yes. in Egypt. Quite fascinating. And a lot of the things that people will be seeing there are temples that were created by these Ptolemaic kings. Yep. And so um, there's a lot of just fascinating history there that is related to the Bible. Yeah. 
So certainly we've said 19th dynasty onwards, Israel's mentioned, there are uh, kings mentioned in the Bible that we can relate. But when we go back to this old period, this, these, this is the, the big ticket items. Everybody wants to know who was the pharaoh of the Exodus, mm. who was the pharaoh of Joseph's time. And we're going to discuss that more in part two. <laughs> so make sure you uh, tune into that one. Because the name Pharaoh uh, and, and Egypt, I think, are mentioned over 279 times in the first five books of the Bible, but never Pharaoh's name, yep. unlike other later Old Testament books, and we're going to discuss why. So the summary here, I'm, I'll tell you what, we could talk for hours, we've only just scratched yeah. the surface, is that there are many Egyptian pharaohs mentioned that harmonize well with Egyptian history. There are some mysteries earlier on. Yeah. So once again, even though we've spoken quite a bit on this, it's been in a big picture sense. We haven't gone into detail. I know you will have lots of questions. We encourage you to search those links below to read more. Just do searches on creation.com for articles about uh, ancient Egypt. You can type in the word Pharaoh. You will see a lot of information there. And believe it or not, even on our own website, people will see differing views. Yeah. Because really, in this area, it's uh, particularly in those earlier kingdoms, it's not something that we can actually be dogmatic about. So thanks for today, Keaton. I look forward to doing the second uh, session with you. And again, for those of you there, of course, the usual things, make sure you subscribe. But can I also encourage you just to share this information with your friends? It's a great opportunity to show areas where the Bible represents true history. Well, that's all for now, and we'll see you next time.